Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knudsen had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to June Jewell, and we're going to get into different areas where your civil engineering firm is losing profit. This is a pretty cool episode for multiple reasons, but one of them is, is I think it's very appealing to civil engineers both executives and experienced civil engineers and younger engineers. And here's the reason. As an executive or managerial civil engineer, some of the stuff that June talks about is going to immediately help you to make more money for your company, which is awesome. But as an up-and-coming engineer, project manager, understanding these things, sometimes you wouldn't have normally understood these things for years. And now puts you at a bit of an advantage and helps you to start to think about the business side of civil engineering maybe a little bit ahead of the game, and that can help you with your development as well. So before I talk with June, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. If you're thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in civil engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code civil at ppi2pass.com. Again, that's PPI the number two pass.com and use promo code civil for a 20% discount. I also want to mention a few episodes back, we had Jim Rogers on and he and I mentioned the seller doer assessment that we've put out there. Everyone's heard of being a seller doer as a civil engineer. It's like a hot topic. And if you can do it, you're going to advance and you're going to succeed. But the question is, is what does it mean? And where are you with regards to your seller doer skills versus the rest of the industry? So we've made this pretty, I would say it's a pretty thorough assessment available at sellerdoerassessment.com to the first 500 podcast listeners that go and fill it out. If you do fill it out, you will not only be able to put in your information, but in a couple of months when we process all of the surveys, we're going to send you a report on how you stack up versus kind of the average of the rest of the industry. It's a great opportunity. So check it out at sellerdoerassessment.com. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation so you get to know a little bit about her before we dive in. June R. Jewell, CPA, is a business management consultant to the architecture, engineering, and construction industry and author of the best-selling book, Find the Lost Dollars, Six Steps to Increase Profits in Architecture, Engineering, and Environmental Firms. For over 25 years, she ran a successful business and Dell Tech consulting practice and is now focused on working with AEC firm leaders to help them improve their processes and systems and give them the tools they need to be able to hold their employees and managers accountable to increase profitability. June is CEO of AEC Business Solutions, offering business assessment tools and business management training programs designed to help AEC firms make more money on projects. You can learn more about June and her company at www.aecbusiness.com. All right, now it's time to jump in today's civil engineering conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. 
now it is time for our civil engineering conversation of the week. And I'm here with June Jewell, who is the author of the best-selling book, Find the Lost Dollars, Six Steps to Increase Profits in Architecture, Engineering, and Environmental Firms. June, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you so much, Anthony. I'm excited to be here. All right. So, June, we're going to talk about something that civil engineers are very interested in, especially those that are in charge of the budgets, which is dollars, finding the lost dollars, because especially in today's economy, people are keeping a sharp look at their profits and they want to make sure that they're as profitable as possible. And hopefully in this episode here, we're going to help them make sure they're doing that. You wrote a book on this. And that's why, obviously, we're speaking. And I want to walk through with you maybe some of the key areas where people are losing dollars in this industry. Let's go through some of these points here in your book. And let's dig in. You've talked to so many engineers now in all the work you've done on with training through your business. Let's talk about hiding your money in the business. I know that's one of your first points. Yes, definitely. Well, you know, many years of working with A&E firms, I find that many engineers are more focused on their technical skills and the quality of their projects and the relationships with their clients, which are all very important, but not as focused on the money. And so sometimes the money, you know, is the last thing that gets paid attention to in working in a project. And then by the time you get to the end of the project, you find that uh, it wasn't as profitable as you had hoped it would be. Absolutely. And and just, I remember myself as a young engineer, up and coming, even getting into project management, really money was never the thing that was at the forefront of my mind. And I think that because you start your civil engineering career like that, you tend to develop those habits and then you carry them through to when you're project manager and executive. And I think that maybe is where a lot of this stems. Sure. And you know, most engineers don't get a business training in college or in any of their engineering education. And so sometimes they get thrown into a role within the company, you know, when you work your way up and you get into a management role, all of a sudden you're responsible for dollars and it's very stressful. You may not understand the terminology. You may not understand how your projects make money and it's the best practices for ensuring that the company is financially successful. June, before we jump into some of the areas where money gets lost in A&E firms, I know that in your book, in the beginning of your book, you get into these 10 different culture traps that affect firm profitability. And I want to just ask you about a couple of those. First of all, it seems that there's a trap, this idea or misnomer that you can't lose money on a time and materials known as a T&M contract. Can you talk about that a little bit? A time and materials contract is, where, is one where you're billing your clients for every hour that you work, um, supposedly billing them for every hour that you work. And so many engineers believe that, well, you can't lose money on those because we're, we get to build them for everything that we do. But the problem lies in a couple things. One is you may not have great billing rates with your clients. And so, in fact, some companies can actually lose money on every hour of work they're doing if their billing rates are too low. Your billing rates may not be covering your costs And for a number of reasons, it may be uh, tough negotiations with clients. It might be that your rates were established years ago and your salaries and overhead have gone up since then. So instead of making money on every hour of work, you're actually losing money on every hour of work. That's pretty scary if you think about it. And then the other issue is that 
Very often, if anything goes wrong on the project, you may decide, well, I can't bill a client for that extra work that we did because we had to rework something or uh, it took way too many hours to get that done or the person that was working on it made some mistakes. So inevitably, some time gets written off and you're not actually able to bill for every hour of your time. And so between those two reasons, a lot of money can actually get lost on time and materials projects. That's good to hear. I know for me, when I was practicing as a civil engineer, and especially as a younger civil engineer, I didn't have any idea of those concepts. All I knew was that it was an hourly project, which I thought meant kind of that there was an unlimited budget and we weren't going to have any problems with it. But as June points out, you don't know what the rate is. You don't know what you're being billed at all the time. And so if you're a manager, an executive, I think it's important that you communicate these things to your staff and your team working on these projects. And on the flip side, if you are that team, find out that information or be thoughtful of that when you're engaged in these T&M type of contracts. June, the next one I want to ask you about is this idea, we do not share financial data with managers and employees. Can you speak on that a bit? Uh, very often I'm working with teams of project managers and others within the engineering firms. And one of the problems that I hear that they continuously tell us about is that they don't have the information that they need in order to manage their projects. And that could be for a whole number of reasons. Traditionally, it's been that a lot of financial information is kept at the top of the organization. The middle level of managers may not even understand the financial data. And so leadership may decide, well, we can't give them that financial data because they won't understand it anyway. It just may be that there isn't a great level of transparency within the engineering firm. The leaders aren't comfortable sharing the information at this point. And what I've actually found is that the firms that share more financial data and help their managers to understand business and accounting concepts and financial terminology actually have better project profitability. Their managers are better able to focus on the financial aspects of the project. And so I really do spend a lot of time urging leadership to share that information and help our clients to understand what they need to do to make sure their teams are able to consume the financial information in the company. And there are surveys that show that companies that share more information have more engagement with their employees, there's more trust within the organization, and their employees do a better job of managing the projects. Yeah, this is another really important point, especially for those of you out there that are managing teams of design professionals, because I know the older mentality might be keep everything close to the vest, like June's referencing here, this trap of we got to keep this stuff quiet. Oh, this way that June's talking where you're more open with it, you're giving people access to stuff. It, it really is helpful because then all of a sudden, like your team is like, okay, they're trusting me with this information. That means that they think I'm responsible. And a lot of times people will respond to that and they will take charge of that and then they'll be more responsible and more on top of these numbers and trying to meet the numbers. And also, I mean, it's hard to hold people accountable against budgets if you're not making them really clear on all the information. Really consider the data that you're going to share with people that are working on your projects. And if you do share it, which I, I think you should, just have a good process for holding them accountable for it and sharing it is a good start to doing that. 
All right, June, let's start talking about these nine areas now where money gets lost in the AE firms. And let's start with the cost of lost opportunities. There's really two areas that I find that most engineering firms could really improve in, in uh, how they bring work into their company. The first area is in deciding which projects to go after and having a good go-no-go process because every dollar that you spend working on a project you don't win is lost money. And so by improving your decision-making process uh, at how you decide which projects you're gonna go after, you can reduce the amount of lost dollars that you spend on going after projects that aren't winnable or projects that aren't gonna be profitable. And the second area that I think many engineering firms can uh, work on to help find lost dollars is in looking at their sales process and what are their seller doers actually doing every day to help win opportunities and bring them in. Most engineers are not salespeople. They very often don't like sales and have little to no sales training. And so the techniques and processes that they're following to bring work in the door aren't always very sophisticated and can lead to lost opportunities. So I always urge our clients to look at whether maybe some sales training would be beneficial, as well as looking at what processes they're following within the company to ensure better win rate and sales success. You're always anxious to try to win more work and to try to grab every proposal you can and go after it. But as June said, making better decisions around that process, the go or no go, can in itself help you to be more profitable, which is huge. And, and on, along the same lines, June, kind of moving along the process here, talk about lost revenue from your proposal process. How does that proposal process potentially bring about lost revenue? Well, again, there's two areas that I see consistently within engineering firms that I believe when they're, these two are improved could definitely lead to a higher win rate and better project proposal success. The first one is looking at how you track your qualifications data. So information about your past project history, information about your employee resumes and skills. Many people spend hours and hours running around the company looking for information, searching for data. And very often what they end up doing is trying to find old proposals, grabbing those proposals. Maybe they can't find them within your server because there isn't a good database or search function to find those proposals. Maybe there's a lack of consistency in how they're named. And so they waste hours and hours looking for information about which projects and resumes to put on a proposal. The second area that I think many companies could improve in their proposal process is looking at just the process itself, you know, sharing tasks and responsibilities between the people that are working on the proposals. You may have marketing staff working on assembling the proposals, and you may have project managers responsible for writing the descriptions or the approach on the proposal and coordinating all of those activities and making sure they're very efficient and effective really can streamline the amount of time that it takes to get a proposal out the door instead of everybody running around and being disorganized and getting frustrated with the proposal process. Absolutely. I think that, again, you get into these habits 
where you do a proposal a certain way and then you just want to keep doing it. So the next one comes up and you jump into it and there could be just so many inefficiencies in there yet for some reason, we, I think we all struggle sometimes with the idea of let's just on the next one, let's stop. Let's take a good look at the process. Let's improve it. And even though it's going to take us a couple hours more, those changes will be good forever and we'll be able to reflect to them next time and it's going to improve our whole process. So really consider, as June was saying, your proposal process and what you can do to streamline it. And it doesn't mean you're going to be working less on it, but it means you're going to work less on maybe some of the parts that aren't going to be as critical for you, where you need to be spending your time more on maybe some of the writing or the storytelling or that part of the proposal that's going to help you really to win that work. That's a big one. And unfortunately, I still see that really, really often in the CE industry. All right, June, let's jump into talking about estimating processes and what impact that can have. Sure. So estimating to me is one of the very most important things that a company does, because if you do a poor job on your estimate, you're going to have a bad project. You're going to have potentially a losing project, and you're going to have more problems later on in your project, maybe billing and collecting from your client. And really the key to a good estimate is really, really asking a lot of questions and understanding your client's requirements their expectations, what level of quality do they expect you to deliver in your deliverables. And there's many areas along the way that in trying to gather that information and intelligence from your clients and in actually putting together the nuts and bolts of your scope and your proposal, the financial side of your proposal, if you can do a great job on nailing that part, you're going to have a more successful project. And one of the things I recommend to clients, just a little tip here, is to sit down with all of the projects they've had that have had a lot of problems or where they've lost money and go back and say, what could we have done better in our estimate to avoid some of these problems? And I think you'll see there are many, many different areas that if you had addressed earlier in the process before you won the project, you could have been much more successful with the project. The next two we're going to talk about are two that I definitely used to lose sleep over all the time when I was a civil engineer practicing, which is scope creep and utilization. Let's start with lost revenue that comes about from scope creep, June. And before you dive into this one from the finance side, maybe you can just define scope creep for the listeners that aren't familiar with the term. So scope creep is when the actual work that you do on a project exceeds what your original scope that was agreed to in your contract outlined. So you actually spend more money on the project than you intended to. And so that will reduce your project profit. There are so many reasons that scope creep occurs. Many times when I'm talking with clients, they think scope creep is The moment when a client asks you for something that wasn't in the contract and you agree to do it and you don't charge them for it. And that definitely is one big component of scope creep. But actually, there's a lot of other areas that scope creep occurs. Scope creep can also be just because, and I refer to this in the book in one of the culture tracks, quality is everything. Your people love to deliver high quality So they over-deliver on the project. They go above and beyond what the client's 
what your scope called for and the level of quality and your reports and your deliverables and other things. Also, maybe there's way too many meetings. Maybe in your scope, you didn't outline the number of meetings you were gonna have and your client insists that you attend many, many, many extra meetings. And you don't even think about it. You just agree to go to those meetings. When I look at a project, I can usually identify 10 different areas where scope creep gets impacted. And in working with clients, we try to figure out how they can reduce scope creep in all of those different areas of the project. Yeah, this one is super important. I don't remember working on a civil engineering project, honestly, that didn't have scope creep in some way because the nature of civil engineering, it's not cut and dry, right? I mean, the projects are complicated. Things change. Things happen. You dig underground. You find something. There's always going to be scope creep that comes about, and how you react to it is important. I mean, a lot of engineers will just keep going. They'll work on it. They'll make some changes, and they don't really realize that they're going beyond the scope, as June referenced, which is a problem. But I also think a huge part of it is laying out the initial scope and the proposal, which June alluded to as well. You can't just have meetings in your proposal scope. You should have a number of meetings. Or maybe you have meetings or on an hourly basis, which is fine. But again, then you got to remember kind of what June talked about uh, in the T&M contract. You have to worry about those things. So I think scope creep is something that has to be on your radar as a civil engineer. And if you think you're doing anything that's extra, at a minimum, you need to have a talk with your team, with the project manager, if you're not the project manager, and see if it needs to be addressed. Because ultimately, at the end of the day... If you get to the end of the project and there's a big gap in the budget, you're not going to be able to go back and say, hey, listen, four months ago, we did something for you that we weren't supposed to. It's going to be a lot harder than if you address the situation before you do any of the work. So that's for sure a big one. Now, June, let's jump into the cost of low utilization, how that affects revenues and profits. Yeah, well, utilization is a huge one because engineering firms are selling people's time for a living. The idea is that you have the right amount of people for the amount of work that you have. But we all know that the amount of work that you have, your backlog and the amount of work that you have on the table at any given time is constantly changing. Projects get delayed. You have different amounts of work coming in. You might have projects you thought you were going to win and you didn't win them. And so it's very, very difficult to match up the number of people you have with the amount of work that you have. And so it's extremely important to keep your eye on, do the people we have in our company have enough work to do? Because if your employees are sitting around without any billable work to do, that's costing your company a great amount of money. It's going to increase your overhead and it's going to make your projects less profitable. And there's a direct relationship between project profitability and utilization. And it's really, really critical especially as a firm leader, to make sure that you're monitoring and managing the scheduling of your people and you have the right number of people and to be able to forecast that months into the future so that you have a good idea how to make better business decisions. Absolutely. And for those of you that might be younger civil engineers that aren't quite sure what utilization is, your utilization rate is essentially the number of hours you work on projects, on billable projects during the week or overall versus the number of hours you work in total. A lot of times as a younger civil engineer, you're going to be 100% billable because you're just working on design projects, you're billing them on your timesheet, that's great. 
But as you start to progress into the project manager level and then beyond, there's a lot of other things that you have to do, like marketing and proposals and things that aren't going to be billable. So your utilization rate starts to decrease from 100. And the firms that are successful, as June mentioned, that I've seen are firms that pay a lot of attention to the utilization rate and they actually have utilization goals for their staff. And they know that you're clear that you need to hit 85 or 90%. You got to make sure you figure out a way to do that. So you either got to get much more productive with your non-billable work or you got to figure out other times to do it or whatever the case may be. And it is, it's a direct correlation to the profitability. And you're going to start to realize that if you haven't already. And if you are an executive, then you know that this is one of the things that you're bugging your project managers about all the time because it's just that important. All right, June, let's get into project management. How does poor project management lose you money? You know, project managers are responsible for making sure that they have a good budget for their project, which, as I said earlier, was, is directly related to your estimate. So you could actually get stuck with a bad project budget to begin with. And in some cases, that happens. But when you have a project budget, you have to keep your eye on it. And who's working on your projects? How much are they spending? How many hours are they spending? Are they spending too many hours on certain phases of the project? You can actually lose money on a project from the very beginning if the first couple phases on the project go way over budget. And so project managers have to have a good strategy for approving timesheets, keeping on top of who is assigned to what project, making sure they have the right people on the project, making sure those people understand how many hours they're supposed to be spending on every task, and really keeping their eye on it and making adjustments as quickly as possible when there's a problem. And many firms, the project managers are just so busy, have too many projects that they're managing. Maybe they're not getting the data or the reports often enough, or they don't know how to use their project management system to do that. And so there's a lot of reasons that project management suffers and projects go way over budget and lose money. All right, now let's talk about invoicing and the invoicing cycle. This is something, another one that just engineers never get trained on. All of a sudden, one day you get to the point in your career and they say, all right, you need to start invoicing. Here's a pile of invoices on the first of every month. Talk about this one, June. This relates back to the cash flow. And cash flow, obviously, it's great to do get, win a lot of projects, work on a lot of projects, and finish a beautiful project. But if you don't get paid, and the cash isn't coming in, company can actually go out of business because they have to have enough cash coming in to make payroll and to pay for all of the expenses. And your company is actually making payroll and paying for your employees' payroll before they get paid from the client. And so the longer it takes to get that cash in, the harder it is to do business because you're never really sure if you're going to have enough cash. And if you don't have enough cash, you have to go to the bank and borrow money and pay interest. And so that adds more expense to running the business. There's several keys to cash flow. One of them is having accurate timesheets so that you can bill your clients accurately and get them to pay you. And the second critical issue is making sure those invoices go out the door quickly, that your client's going to pay those invoices. So Looking at your invoicing cycle and all of the things that go into that is critical to ensuring that your client is going to pay you quickly and then making sure you stay up on top of your collection process so that 
you're getting that money in the door fast and you're not losing money because your clients aren't paying you. And this is another one that's mindset related too, because again, you're in these design projects early in your career, then you're transitioning into doing more responsibilities and invoicing becomes one of them. And then you get to the decision where you say, ah, should I do my invoices today? Or should I do another review of the design? And you say, ah, you know, I want to check out this design. Then the invoices sit there for a day, becomes two days, become three days. And then this invoice cycle gets elongated and the cash doesn't come in as quick as it could. It happens with one project manager, but if, then if it's happening with five or 10 across the company, this is where the drop starts to turn into ripples and ripples. So these things have a bigger effect. All right, June, we got a couple left here. Let's talk about inefficient and non-integrated systems in your business. Many companies, many engineering firms have lots of different software systems that they're using to manage information. You might have an accounting system. You might have another place you're managing client information or a separate CRM, client relationship management. You might have another separate project system that you're tracking information about projects. You might have a document system that's tracking all of your documents. In many firms I go into, I see that they have the same data in many different places. And so that can cause the company to lose time and time is money. If the employees have to go to lots of different places to enter data or to find information or to search through an unorganized server to find files, they're gonna waste a lot of time during the day. They're not gonna maximize their utilization and efficiency and the company will lose money. The more that you can do to tie all your systems together to minimize that situation where you have lots of different databases can massively improve employee efficiency and ensure that employees aren't wasting a lot of their time. I think this is where one of those things where technology can hurt you in that some of these systems are great. They can track all kinds of things. And if you use them correctly, they'll be beneficial to your firm. But when you start to overload your staff with different things to measure and different programs to update and different data sources, I agree. It could have a bit of a reverse effect. All right, June, the last area here for finding lost dollars, the cost of losing a good client. Sure. And you know, I said in there losing a good client. And really the key here is that the relationships that you have with your clients are critical to your company's success. In most firms I work with, 70% or more of their projects are from existing clients. So your clients keep giving you more work. But really, is all of that work that you're getting good projects? Are they profitable projects? Are all of the clients that you're working with great clients? Do they treat you well? Are you making good money from them? Are they paying the company on time? Or is it a hassle to get paid? And so what I urge our clients to do is to categorize all of their clients into A, B, and C clients and look at the criteria that they value with clients to determine who your best top 10 or 20% of your clients are, and then to focus on how you can really leverage those excellent client relationships and your best clients to increase the number of good projects that you're getting and the profitability that you're getting from your projects and possibly even firing some bad clients because your bad clients are draining your resources and can potentially be causing you to lose money on uh, your profit margin of your project. So 
it's really, you know, a, an idea of looking at who you're really making money from and who you enjoy working with and who your best clients are. I'm just going to recap for those of you listening here, the nine areas where money gets lost in AE firms that June's gone over with us, the cost of lost opportunities, lost revenue from the cumbersome proposal process, flawed estimating processes, scope creep was a big one. We talked about that in detail. Low utilization. That's another big one that if your supervisor's not on top of you for it yet, he or she will be soon. Poor project management, long invoice cycles, which again, relate back to your cash flow, inefficient or too many systems, non-integrated systems, redundant data. And then we just spoke about, of course, the cost of losing a good client. So what we're going to do now is, June, if you're good with sticking around for a few minutes, we're going to transition into our CE hot segment and ask you a few more questions. Sure. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for our CE hot seat segment which in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exam, and I recently had a chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses. It's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at ppitopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. June, you ready to go? Sure, I am. First question, are there any specific routines or rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning or lunch routine or something that you do consistently on a daily basis that contribute to you being successful? I think discipline overall is a very important practice to have in being successful in business. I do have some routines that I've had for years. One of the routines I have is to try to work out in the mornings. I'm not 100%. I don't do it every day, but I do definitely try to work out. I find that starts my day in a positive way and makes me feel good and have energy and stay healthy. The second thing is I start every day with a to-do list. And I think it helps you to stay focused. You know, we get overloaded with information in this world and it's so easy to get distracted and just being able to check off your top things off your list every day that you need to get done is critical to ensuring that you're making progress and the important things are getting done every day. Absolutely. That's a great one. I do the same myself. That to-do list is critical in keeping you focused. What's one book, June, that you recommend on a regular basis to whether it be engineering executives or managers that you recommend or just in general, a helpful book? This is kind of a hard one for me because I read a lot of books and I actually recommend that that people try to read at least one book a month and continuously learn. Obviously, I would love everyone here to read the Find the Lost Dollars book and because it's specifically related back to success in the engineering firm. One book that, and I actually believe I quoted in Find the Lost Dollars, is The Rockefeller Habits. And The Rockefeller Habits is basically about good habits that businesses have for communicating and for holding people accountable. 
I find that many firms don't do this. And having a, you know, it really focuses on having a regular rhythm of conversations, whether that's weekly, biweekly, and some cases even daily rituals for how you communicate with your team. So I, that's a great book that can give you some ideas about how to better work with your teams. All right. I've got one final question, June, which we call the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So basically, if you got into an elevator, with a civil engineering manager, let's say, and you only had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you had to give kind of one piece of advice on how to be successful based on all the work you've done with CE firms, what would you tell that person? I would tell that person to really learn more about what makes their firm successful and how they can take an active role in helping their company to be successful. That may or may not involve the financial side of the business. Sometimes it does, very often it does, because every engineering firm is a business and the business has to thrive to be successful. So anything you can do to help your company to be more successful is going to go a long way in your career towards helping elevate you beyond just say, the lower management level and possibly into the upper management and leadership level someday. So, you know, just pay attention and learn as much as you can about what makes your company thrive and be successful. Yeah, that's a great point because you can't assume that every company is the same. It's automatic that in one that you just need to go out maybe and bring in work, let's say. Maybe that's not what your firm needs right now. Maybe they need their processes improved. June makes a great point. Find out what your firm needs to be more successful and then deliver on that. And I think that that's going to ensure your success for sure. All right, June. So where's the best place for our listeners to find out more information about you or connect with you? My website is aecbusiness.com. That start, stands for architecture, engineering, construction, business.com. We have a great blog with articles and webinars that you can attend for free. So uh, hopefully there's some good resources there to help continue your career growth and leadership. Great. Absolutely. We want to continue to focus on career growth and leadership. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for Find the Lost Dollars. You'll find a summary of the key points that we've discussed here in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We do monitor all of the comments and we'll respond if you leave us one. June, thanks for spending some time today with our listeners. Thank you so much, Anthony. I appreciate this. All right, everyone. Until next time, I wish you all the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 